Oh, in just a minute, we'll do another meditation using the metta, loving-kindness phrases. And these basic phrases that express the wish for basic safety, happiness, and health that is a universal wish of all beings, with, without exception. And the instructions are from the Buddha are to begin with oneself. It's a quote from the Buddha that no one is more deserving of one's love and affection than one is oneself. So to really cultivate this sense of goodwill, benevolence, loving kindness right here, and then use that as a springboard to begin to extend outwards. I sometimes teach on longer metta retreats and sometimes we'll provide the instructions of staying with the self for three or four days before going to another category and expanding outwards ultimately to all beings. Ultimately, this is the quality that we're looking for in cultivating loving kindness that is that it is boundless, kind of a, a boundless goodwill for all beings. If we were on a really long retreat, I've talked to practitioners who've worked with metta phrases for three or four months and they'll spend weeks with one category, perhaps weeks with just with self. And traditionally the categories are self, benefactor, good friend, neutral person, difficult person, and then all beings. For some folks, the self can be uh, a difficult category. So just the invitation that can be useful that if you are not finding a connection point and offering the metta, loving kindness phrases for yourself, to try out offering the phrases for a benefactor. A benefactor could be someone you respect in your life Maybe a relative, a aunt, uncle, grandparent, maybe a teacher, maybe even a pet. Pets can be great benefactors. Someone where there's a, a good heart connection, but not a complicated kind of relationship where there's no mixed feelings about your relationship to that being. Could even be a figure like His Holiness the Dalai Lama. It doesn't have to be someone you know, but you can still feel a heart connection to. So if you're not connecting with self, you could begin with that category and see if you feel more of the, the direct heart connection. And uh, if you are connecting with self, I invite you to continue with self. And it's, I love the words that uh, Jashoda used in describing the offering of metta as being like a blessing, like a blessing to the heart from the heart. Um, like planting seeds of goodwill. So let's uh, sit for about uh, 20, 20 minutes. And the phrases again are, may I feel safe? May I be happy? May I be strong? Inviting this quality of a friendly heart. Soothing the mind of the offering of these phrases as a blessing.
Oh, remember the smile with the metta practice. It's such a beautiful practice, really supports happiness, kindness, connection to other beings, to all the beings of the land, the real transformation of the heart. It's open and at peace, open to joy, open to compassion. And uh, just offer some uh, tips first on other things that can support the practice is you can always put your hand to the heart when you're saying the phrases. It's a good way to connect to the body, even move the hand a little bit. It does seem to have a physical effect in supporting loving kindness coming forth. For some people, it can be useful to pull up an image of yourself, maybe an image of yourself as a child, where you can hold yourself with tenderness, kindness, so you're making that kind of a visual uh, connection. And if you feel like you're connecting to this practice, you can bring it in to a little more of the activities, maybe in an hour and a half or so when we walk down to the dining hall, you could still be saying the phrases. Sometimes they use a shortcut on the phrases just to say safe, happy, strong. Maybe especially if you were to go for a walk in the hills at lunchtime as a way of staying connected to the loving kindness phrases but being able to walk at maybe a more moderate pace just to drop in those words, safe, happy, healthy. I'm a, I'm a swimmer and I'll often drop in metta phrases. Sometimes we'll swim, swim for a half hour, just dropping in a metta phrase with each in, in breath. And it's a great practice to take, take into the world, uh, just to drop in and walking down the street or when I'm on the public transit in San Francisco on Muni, just picking someone out, maybe saying the phrases silently, maybe just silently saying metta for you, really does serve to open the heart and promote a sense of connectedness. I've been saying the metta phrases primarily in my practice for the last few weeks. It's, um, I kind of have a metta season each year in practice where that's my primary practice in sitting and the intention to bring it more fully in, into the world, into my time in the world. So I'll, I'll drop in those phrases and I can really see the difference in the last few weeks. Just the, the silent smiles, the eye contact with people, the present present connection that's being made uh, by way of cultivating this intention of goodwill and loving kindness. It really is ultimately an, an innate quality of the heart. We cultivate loving kindness, but ultimately we're opening to a quality that's here in our own hearts, but is often covered up by the forces of greed, aversion, and delusion by the wanting and needing things to be other. So when we bring acceptance into our present circumstances, we support the rising of loving kindness. So the, the letting go to accept the present experience as it is, opens the, loving, the, the door for loving kindness to arise. So it might be that when you were sitting, maybe you were feeling body discomfort. So the acceptance of that, maybe even a good tool could be even to invite loving kindness to that part of the body, to the knee that's hurting or the back that's tight. Oh, metta, metta, just saying the metta phrases to that part of the body. It's all supporting the opening of the heart. A quote from uh, Hindu mystic Ramakrishna, the supreme purpose of life is to cultivate love. Love that quote. Supreme purpose of life is to cultivate love. 
course, the love we're talking about here, this love of loving kindness, goodwill, benevolence, is different from the love that we have, that we think of being as a love in a relationship, a romantic relationship, where usually there's some sense, almost always, some sense of attachment, where we look for something else from the other purpose, from the other person. Maybe especially when we're beginning a new relationship, it may take the form of, I'll really love you if you do this for me, or if you behave a certain way. So that kind of love is different, not wrong, because we all have that kind of love in our lives and our relationships. Nothing wrong with that kind of love. But we're cultivating this broader field of loving kindness through the practice with the phrases. So I certainly in my long-term relationship with my partner, 24 years, there's, um, there's attachment. If, if my partner were to die, I'd certainly grieve. I'd f- certainly feel a loss. Naturally, I'm attached. But I think over many years of saying the loving kindness phrases, cultivating the intention of metta, it carries over into my relationship with my partner. And it brings a broader field of acceptance, uh, feel like I don't get caught up in the small stuff as much as I used to. If he doesn't do the breakfast dishes right away, (laughs) not such a problem. (laughs) So the field of metta does begin to to benefit all of our relationships and benefit our presence in the world, the way we are in the world. So ultimately, We could be practicing just with metta or just with mindfulness and they would end up in the same spot. Because when the heart is infinitely open, wisdom is present, there's perfect clarity. When the heart is open, there's great clarity. And when there's great clarity, when wisdom is present, then the heart is naturally open. So often, uh, you'll hear the words, the heart of wisdom. Because when, when the deepest understanding of the way things are comes forth, then naturally love and kindness and compassion come forth. So for the Buddha, the Buddha fully realized the truth of the way things are. He could see the suffering of the entire world with a heart of compassion and kindness. And yet he was known as a happy one. Uh, beautiful qualities that come forth with wisdom. And a quote on this from uh, Deepama, the teacher that Sylvia referred to yesterday, the one who could walk through walls. <laughs> she, she was one of the most deeply realized beings of the, of the last century. And uh, her quote on the difference between mindfulness meditation practice and metta meditation practice. From my experience, there is no difference. When you are fully loving, aren't you also mindful? When you are fully mindful, isn't this also the essence of love? The quality of loving kindness is one of the four divine abodes. The Buddha referred to the divine abodes of the heart. And uh, these are the divine abode of loving kindness, uh, divine abode of compassion, divine abode of supportive joy, empathetic joy, supporting the joy of others, and the divine abode of equanimity. And uh, it's said that when one of these qualities is strongly present, the others can arise spontaneously. So I think of someone like His Holiness the Dalai Lama who has great wisdom and these heart qualities come forth in such a beautiful way. So I'll tell a little story about getting to meet His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and a real blessing that I feel great gratitude for right now. I used to work at uh, San Francisco Airport for many years and, and knew a lot of the staff, including the police officers and the police officer on the dignitary detail knew I was a practitioner and he was going to be meeting His Holiness the Dalai Lama arriving on a flight. 
from Japan. So he invited me to be at the bottom of the stairs. And uh, so I went to work on a Saturday and uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama was flying from India to Japan to San Francisco. So a very long day of travel. And um, of course His Holiness the Dalai Lama is treated as a head of state so he doesn't have to go through uh, Customs and Border Patrol like the rest of us. And uh, I expected when I got there I knew I'd be meeting him at the stair, bottom of the stairs from the plane. Expected there'd be a lot of uh, people meeting him there, but it turned out it was just his own Secret Service, uh, the U.S. Secret Service, uh, police officers, and myself. I think other than His Holiness the Dalai Lama, I was the only person there not carrying a gun. But, um, So I saw him coming down the stairs and he, just seeing him walking down the stairs, the kindness, the sense of peace, the happiness that was present on his face. It was just present in his presence. So deeply moving. And I met him at the bottom of the stairs and I bowed to him and he took my hand and shook my hand. And uh, I didn't know it, but the police officer brought his camera and took a photo, very sweet. <laughs> and uh, while the photo was being taken, I told His Holiness that I was a practitioner and he, he just nodded. And then uh, he walked to his car, 60 or 70 feet away, a little motorcade of three or four cars. And he got to his car and the door and he stopped and looked back to me I thought, he can't be looking at me. <laughs> Why would he be looking at me? But what do you do when His Holiness the Dalai, Dalai Lama looks at you? You bow. So I bowed. And then he waved me over. And uh, I walked over. And all that he said, nothing special. But it showed that he was fully present to recognize the importance of, to me of meeting him. And he just took my hand again and said, tell me, I want to know how long have you been practicing? And I told him and just felt like a great blessing that he made that heart connection. Maybe an act of compassion calling me over. So unbeknownst to me too, the police officer was taking a whole series of photos. <laughs> the greatest look of equanimity on my face that I've ever seen in the last photo of his holiness was being driven away. So I think of him as having this immediate responsiveness of the heart that comes with deep practice, that comes with cultivating loving kindness, cultivating mindfulness, that in a group of people, I've heard stories of this, I haven't been in his presence in a large group of people, but he will be fully with someone talking, who's talking about their suffering. And he'll be present with a heart of great compassion. And that person will finish their question, he'll finish the dialogue, and he'll look towards somebody else, perhaps is holding a baby. And he'll immediately start laughing, feeling joy on seeing the baby. This immediate responsiveness of the heart that doesn't get stuck on anything. So this is a direction of our practice. It, and these moments do arise for all of us, this natural responsiveness of the heart that we can really deeply appreciate. And when we appreciate those moments, when the compassion is present, when the compassion that, that recognizes suffering and wishes it to end, the joy that, that recognizes the joy of others and wishes it to continue, to see and recognize when those things are present, supports the future arising of those beautiful qualities of the heart. So it's important to emphasize too that in this practice of, of cultivating loving kindness, sometimes we feel exactly the opposite. And it is a part of the process. There's nothing wrong when we feel that. 
Now there's, maybe you could think of it as two parts to loving kindness. One is bringing forth the beautiful qualities. The other is a process of kind of scrubbing, cleaning the heart. So there may be real sense of remorse on past actions we've undertaken that caused harm. We may feel that remorse. We may feel the hurt for someone else having caused us harm. We may feel anger about something that's happened. We may feel a lot of fear. It's really the, the practice of metta that's allowing a sense of spaciousness, allowing the heart to open and so- soften so those things can come into awareness and the purification process can happen. It's this purification of the heart. So it's a very important part of the meta practice. So, so don't judge it if that happens. And sometimes you can just allow those the, the, the feelings of ill will to be in the background and just stay with the metta phrases. Sometimes it's useful to just stay with the feelings for a short time to feel the tension or the heat of anger and then return to the body, return to saying the phrases again, making the reconnection. So just using the tools of practice wisely when those, when those things do arise. So when I mentioned yesterday that that kind of moment of insight that the whole of practice is, the uh, whole of life is practice, an important part of that was really bringing this intention of loving kindness into every part of my life. And bringing it into work was really important because I spend so many hours of the day at work. So I'd have the intention, I'm going to keep checking in on before meetings, before phone calls, setting the intention for kindness. I think maybe I usually got it a couple times a day. <laughs> and it's really hard when you're a fast-paced work environment to remember. But that just remembering a few times begins to create little grooves so that more naturally the loving kindness, the basic kindness and goodwill that is innate to our own hearts just begins to come forth. So just bringing that in at, at whatever level we can. And then recognizing when uh, the loving kindness is not present. As uh, Sylvia referred to, sometimes catching those moments when, ah, these words are not quite skillful. There's some anger or impatience in these words pausing, reconnecting, ah, my intention is kindness. Nothing wrong with feeling the anger, nothing wrong with feeling angry, but staying with our intention in being in the world, in our interactions with others in a way that's kind and peaceful. Especially for this time, I just keep going back to the Buddha's beautiful words on, on the importance of love that he said, um, Hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred is healed by love alone. This is the eternal law. It feels like right now I'd like to see that emblazoned on billboards across San Francisco, across the nation. So part of part of what I undertook too 12 years ago is I, I recognized that I was just too in the head and not in the heart. And I remembered times when I had felt more connected to the heart, doing volunteer service work. So I returned to doing uh, volunteer service work as I had during the AIDS crisis where I was doing support, providing support for people with AIDS, often dying. So I returned to doing uh, hospice volunteer work as a way of kind of being what was important for me because that heart quality was missing. May not be, I mean, many of you may work in areas where that heart connection is very present. They come forth very easily for you anyway. But in my practice, that service volunteer work was important in strengthening that heart connection. And I would actually say that the volunteer service work as a hospice, in hospice, is probably just as important as the retreat practice that I did. Uh, to deepening understanding. And I would usually use a metta practice as a way of entering into the hospice guest house. I would volunteer four or five hours every uh, Sunday morning. 
And often I'd be distracted about plans for the rest of the day or maybe carrying something with me for work. A lot of times the first six months I would come in feeling like, who am I to be doing this work? I'm not good enough for this. That's self-doubt that can come up for many of us. And I'd use the tool of metta as a form of self-care. I would begin before doing anything else, sitting and doing a short meditation, sometimes just five or 10 minutes, often saying metta phrases for myself. A way of connecting, softening the heart, inviting some sense of tranquility and ease. And then I was more prepared to enter the rooms of the residents who are nearing the end of their lives. Felt that I could be more fully present then. And as a volunteer, the instructions for us were to sit, listen, and breathe. Sound familiar? <laughs> Just be present. And that was the, uh, I felt like the great gift that we offered as volunteers was to simply offer presence without any agenda, without trying to make the other person's experience any different than it was. Kind of providing a space of mindfulness, of awareness for the other person. I'd love to think of that, that house where I volunteered as a house of love and acceptance because in that, in that space of awareness and the offering of, of loving presence, That's what came forth. And I found I could more deeply trust the heart. And this real deep trust of the heart. It's like the, the Buddhist understanding of faith is trusting the heart. It really strengthened my sense of, of, of faith in, in the heart and the unfolding process. And more and more I found that the words and actions that I took as a hospice volunteer came from the heart. There was not even a thinking process where I'd suddenly find my hand going out to touch the hand of a resident nearing the end of their life, stroking their hand. It just happened. There was no me doing it. Sometimes words spoken to express my gratitude for their beautiful heart of the person that I was with. The miracle I found was that Every single person I was with, probably was with 50 or 60 people as they died, every person without exception could feel the beautiful presence of their heart. Really moving. Such a reminder that nothing is missing in our own hearts. Nothing is missing in our own hearts. Kind of a, just a very brief story of one resident um, and the, the magicalness of how these beautiful qualities of loving kindness, compassion come forth without even a thinking process. This is a resident, um, Mary, I'd been sitting with her for maybe eight weeks every Sunday. Uh, the nurses said she had no cognitive ability, no cognitive ability whatsoever. They never saw her give any sign of cognitive understanding. But I would usually hold her hand for a while, 45 minutes or so, and I, it was a great feeling being with her. I could feel a kind heart. But there was never any interchange. Um, only, only one hand could she move, the other hand um, I was paralyzed. And one afternoon I was with her and our hands were touching and we heard a crash in the other room of glass breaking and a cry out for help. And Mary immediately raised her hand as <laughs> if to tell me to go help. So where does that come from? Where does this immediate responsiveness of compassion come from? So, now sometimes people would tell uh, us as volunteers, other volunteers told me they heard the same thing. People would say, oh, you must be angels being volunteers. And... Uh, I always felt like I got so much more back in being a, a volunteer than, than what I offered. I always felt so much gratitude, would often leave that house feeling such ease, contentment, sometimes tranquility, 
sense of peace. So I was very grateful uh, for the residents. But I also, the, the response I'd like to give people now is when they, when they say, you must be an angel to do hospice volunteer work. I, would resp- I like to respond, well, actually, the truth is we're all, we're all angels. And uh, I love that understanding. We're all angels. We just need to practice wisely to allow these beautiful qualities of the heart to come forth. It's the practice of metta. So thank you for your attention for the talk. And just uh, a word, there's a question on water bottles. I'm sure everyone or many people would love to have their water bottle in the hall. The floors are not um, finished for spills with water. So that's why the, the staff asked that we not have water bottles in the hall. I guess the platforms up front are, that's why we can have water. Um, but the downstairs meditate, down the hill meditation hall, they actually designed it so water bottles um, could be there. So just plan accordingly for not being able to bring the, the water into the hall. And we'll return to mindful yeah. movement. Shada. Thank you for uh, planting the seed of goodwill. And before you come to standing, just close your eyes for a moment and notice What's inside of you, having just spent uh, an hour with metta practice and talking about metta practice? And I know for me, I just feel buoyed up. So what is it for you inside? And then from this place of whatever this place is, begin to find your way to standing. Take your time and feel how your body does it. Hmm. And just take the stretch that your body needs to unfold from sitting. Mm. Mm. So I can watch all you and see what to do next. Bring your hands to your hips and draw your abdominals up and in. Soften the knees and let your body extend out over the ground. And is there room enough in the back there? If not, can you create enough room between the chairs? So from here you grow long from your tailbone to your crown and you let the spine stretch out. And then the legs become strong by engaging the muscles or the sense of the muscles hugging the bones. And then release the torso down so the the torso is soft and like a waterfall falling over the strength of the legs. And then take hold of your elbows with your hands. And a few deep breaths right here. Just breathing into the spaces that you feel inside of you. You can, if you need to, also support your being forward by placing your hands on your thighs. So doing what you need and then deep breathing to just feel inside, feel your feet grounded, feel the sitting bones rising up towards the ceiling and then the torso falling out over the upper body. Bring your hands to your shins and as you press gently into the shins, lengthen the body halfway up. And then as you exhale, release the body back down fully. And with the next inhale, press into the shins gently. Lengthen the body halfway up. Grow it long from tailbone to crown. And then exhale and release the body back down. Take a full breath here. And as you breathe, shake the head yes and shake the head no. Hmm. And then once again, as you inhale this time, say, may I be peaceful. And inhale the body halfway up. And then as you come forward, may I be happy. And release the body all the way down. And do that a couple of times. May I be peaceful. Or whatever phrase you're using, come up. And then as you exhale and release, 
the other phrase that you're using, may I be happy. And one more time, pressing, lengthening up halfway, growing it long, saying your phrase. And then exhale and release the body down. This time, as you release the body down, bring your hands behind your legs, whether they're at the ankles or somewhere in the calf muscle, and use the strength of your arms to draw your body forward so that you begin to feel a stretch coming up through the backs of the legs. And at the same time, the torso is still relaxed, even though using the strength of your arms. Shake your head yes and no. To release, either bring your hands onto your hips, soften your knees, or bring your hands onto your thighs, lengthen the body out, and then with the long spine, bring the body back up to standing. Take a breath and close your eyes and feel what's happening inside. Hmm. Sometimes it helps to bring hands to the belly. And that way, I I like to think of connecting the belly and the heart. And then leave one hand on the belly and bring one hand to the heart. And as you take a deep breath in, breathe all the way into the belly. Feel the belly rise with the breath and keep the inhale going until you take that same breath into the heart. And then as you exhale, exhale from the heart back down to the belly. And do that a few times, inhaling slowly into the belly, letting that breath rise up through the diaphragm right into the heart. And then as you exhale, releasing from the heart down to the belly. And one more time, and this time as you breathe in, try a phrase with that. May I feel safe. And as you exhale, may I feel happy. And once more, breathe it in, say your phrase, and breathe it out, say your phrase. And release your hands down to your sides. And then bring your arms out to the sides and bend at the elbows. We call this cactus arms. Step your feet a little wider than your hips and send your toes externally. And then slowly bend the knees just to your edge, so where the body meets that first edge of resistance. And then rock a little bit. This is uh, the inner goddess. So we all have our inner goddess, and we can play with her. Smiling is a really good response here to the goddess. Blessings to all. May this goddess also feel happy and strong and safe. And then inhale, lengthen up. And as you exhale, ease it in. And do that a few times. Inhale slowly. Yes, great. And feeling, so feeling the experience, not thinking the experience. And one more time, ease it down. Come just to that place of what we call the edge. Rock it a little bit. Ease it in, just another micro-movement. And then inhale, come on back up. Turn your feet parallel. Take your arms out wide, and as you exhale, cross the left elbow under the right, and then reach your hands toward each other. So whether they clasp each other, or you hold your hands, or you come to a wrist, or you're holding your your, um, forearm, it's just what it is. And inhale the elbows up. Good. And exhale down to the navel. Feel that. And then continue to inhale up. And exhale down. Hmm. 
And do that once more, inhaling, lifting the elbows up to the third eye, maybe, and exhaling from the third eye down through the center of you, right to the navel center. And then bring the elbows in line with the shoulders and send the elbows to the left and turn your head to the right. And then do the opposite. As you inhale, take it right across. As you exhale, twist it a little bit. And do that a couple times, inhaling across the body, looking over the opposite shoulder, and bringing it back and doing it in the opposite direction. And once more, feeling into the heart space and back. And then as you come back to center and the elbows are about shoulder height, simply begin to circle the arms around. So find the breath as you breathe this body open, as you breathe into this heart. Hmm. And then reverse the direction. These are called in yoga, they're called eagle arms. There's a posture called the eagle posture. So that one pointed and coming back to center point, send the arms out to the sides. And as you bring them back, cross them in the opposite direction. So this is a new side and a new moment. It might be very different. Inhale the elbows up to the ears. And exhale, release it down. And in your own breath, so synchronizing the breath and the movement, you inhale it up. You might even take a little back bend there and exhale it down. You might invite a little forward bend, a little opening in the back. And do that once more. Inhale it up. So see what your body wants to do. And exhale it down. And then bring the elbows to shoulder and begin to move from one side, looking off the other. And continue that with the inhale and then exhale into the twist. You inhale across the body, and then you exhale. And one more time, side to side, inhaling to one, really twist it open, and then come on back across and do the same on the other side. Slowly let the elbows come back to center and to circle them going all around the body. It's not that serious. It's just moving the body. It's just feeling inside and reversed in the opposite direction. We could just simply take life less seriously. Wouldn't it be nice? And then come back to center. And let's end by a nice hug. Yum. Give yourself a little hug and a little kiss and appreciate yourself and take a moment really for appreciation for spending this time to take care. And slowly release the arms out by your sides. Bring the hands to the belly. Allow your eyes to close. And breathe from the belly to the heart and then from the heart to the belly. One more. And bring your hands together. Thank you. And mindfully come back. Oh no, take a break, right? <laughs> so let's take um, a 15 minute, a 14 minute break, something like that. We'll ring the bell. Okay? And use your walking meditation during the break. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.